All right, so we are continuing in our series to, uh, of the seven letters to the seven churches, Golden Lampstands. Who has enjoyed so far the, this series on the seven letters to the seven churches? Every week I, I, I've been thinking, as I've been going through this, every week I, I've been preaching these messages and, and this is some really messed up churches. And we were preaching about sin and, and I was like, Lord, I need to give your people a break. Like every week I'm talking about not being compromised with the world. And last week we talked about sin and why do Christians and churches tolerate sin. I was like, Lord, we need a breath of fresh air. We need a reminder of, of the fact that, 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 um, that, that you love us, that you're with us. And, and this is just kind of how it is, it is unpacking. So we, we go from a church that is compromising with the world, a minority of the church in Pergamos. And then, and then um, last, week, um, last week with Thyatira, Thyatira, they were headlong into the deep things of Satan. And this week, this, the, the church is dead. So it doesn't really get much better. Next week, it's a breath of fresh air. Next week, we look at Philadelphia. We're going to get a breath of fresh air, a church that gets no rebuke from Jesus. And then we're going to end with the church at Laodicea next, uh, in two weeks from now. So we are going to continue. We're going to look at Sardis, a church that is dead. So would you go with me before the Lord in prayer before we unpack this? Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. Lord, what a blessing it is to gather together and to hear your word, to, to fellowship, to, to worship. Lord, it is an honor and a privilege, Lord, to be able to be amongst brothers and sisters in Christ. And Lord, it is an honor to be able to open your word and to preach. And it's an honor and a privilege for us to be able to hear and to listen. And I pray that you would help everyone that's here today to, to hear your word, to receive it with glad hearts, to apply it to their life. And Lord, I pray... God, that you would help me this morning to open my mouth, to preach your word, and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ferdinand de Mara. Ferdinand de Mara. Who's ever heard of Ferdinand de Mara? No one. Me either until earlier this week or last week. Ferdinand de Mara. He was born in the early 1920s. Uh, and Damara dropped out of high school and ran away to become a monk. She ran away to become a monk in the 1920s. He was born in the 1920s, ran away, dropped out of high school, ran away, become, became a monk. And then in the early 1940s, he enlisted in the army, followed by the Navy, but he went AWOL from both. Uh, then he went on to assume a series of aliases. Listen to this. He was a college instructor, but he wasn't. He was a prison warden, but he wasn't. He was a law student, but he wasn't. And during the Korean War, DeMara pulled off his boldest hoax after stealing the credentials of a doctor he knew and masqueraded as a surgeon with the Royal Canadian Navy. And he worked aboard a destroyer. And while he was on the the destroyer, Demara performed a number of surgical procedures, including the extraction of a bullet lodged near one soldier's heart. He later said, when he was confronted and caught, he later said that he'd consulted medical textbooks to figure out what to do. Can you imagine that? What a fraud! 
Right? Can you imagine? Now, now obviously, I, there's nothing in what I've read about this that the guy who he dislodged a bullet from didn't survive, dislodged a bullet from near his heart. Uh, so clearly he was somewhat of a brilliant man because he could, he could play like he was a law professor, a prison warden, a college instructor, and a surgeon and got away with it for a little while. So he seemed to be a pretty brilliant man, but he was a fraud. He was, he, he was, he pretended to be something that he was not. He had a reputation. He had a reputation to be things that he was not. So, so what is a reputation? Well, the definition of a reputation would be the beliefs or opinions held about someone or something. So, so what is your reputation? When people look at your life and they examine your life, what reputation do you have? And is that true of who you really are? The reputation that you have, is it true of who you really are? That's what a reputation is. And then what we want to strive for is that the reputation we have is positive, right? And that that is really true of who we really are. That the positive reputation we have in our life would actually be true of who we are. But just like Ferdinand de Mara had a reputation, this church at Sardis had a reputation. So not only can people have reputations, but, but, but businesses can have a reputation. You ever been to a business and they have a reputation and you, you go there because of their, their reputation or you stay away from their business because of their reputation? Uh, uh, sports teams can have a reputation to be one team that is successful or not successful, right? But just like a sports team and a person and a business can have a reputation, churches can have reputations. And this church, and we're going to look at the church at Sardis, literal church, 40 years after the resurrection of Christ, written to from a vision that the Lord of the church gave to John on the Isle of Patmos, where he was exiled because of his faith. He was working in a prison colony, Smashing rocks in a prison colony. He gets this vision from the Lord and he writes these letters to these seven churches. And to Sardis, Sardis had a reputation to be something that they were not. Before we look at the, at the, at the text, let's get a little background of the city of Sardis. So very similar to all the other churches within, 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 uh, within um, Asia during that time. A, a, a Greek pagan culture, similar false worship of man-made gods that were worshipped in temples. What's interesting about Sardis is that st- the, the, the city's wealth primarily came from gold. And it, it is believed that this was the first time in history that this city learned how to mint gold, how to, like, make coins out of gold. This area, this city, uh, was the first one in history to, to, to learn how to do that. Sardis... Uh, because of that, they, they were prosperous, but it was something that was in the decline. During the time of this letter, Sardis was prosperous, but, but, but they were losing its financial prosperity. And this is a, another interesting fact about Sardis, I think kind of connects to what the Lord says about this church. It was said that there was hot springs that were in Sardis, near Sardis, uh, that were a place where gods would bring the dead back to life. And so it was this mysticism, this idea that there were gods that would be around these hot springs and that those that were dead, you can bring them to the hot springs and they would come back to life. And as a perfect segue to this letter, to a church that had a reputation of being something that they were not. So let's look at the text, Revelation 3, 1 through 3. It says, And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him 
who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Wow. What a rebuke. The Lord of the church says to this church in Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Anybody here has a reputation of being alive, but you're dead? No, you're all alive here today. But this church had a reputation of being an alive church, a a passionate church, a church that loved the Lord, but they were spiritually dead. They were alive, but they were actually dead. Just like Ferdinand de Mara acting like a surgeon when he clearly was not, the church at Sardis had a reputation of being something that they were not. What a rebuke to a church. Of all the things that could be said of a church, may that never be said of this church or of any church, that we believe that we're alive in Christ, but we're actually deceived and we are dead. Just like last week, we asked the question, why do Christians in churches tolerate sin? Because of Thyatira going completely overboard into receiving sin and embracing sin. This, this reality, this rebuke to this church raises a lot of questions. Does it not raise a lot of questions in, in your mind? How is it? That you could be a church and believe that you're something that you're not, that you're alive, but you're actually dead. And so I'm going to do the same thing I did last week. We're going to ask a question. What does an alive church look like? If this church thought they were alive, but they were actually dead, then it would really be a good thing for us to ask the question. What does an alive church look like so we can know what we need to strive for? What does an alive church look like? So I have three answers to that question as we unpack what this letter means to Sardis. So what does an alive church look like? I believe the first thing is obvious. A church that is alive is a church that is regenerated. Or or, or you could say it like this. A church that is alive is a church full of people that have been born again. A church that is alive is a church that is full of people that have been born again. And, And this should be obvious, that a church is full of Christians. Christians make up a church. And so it would be obvious that we would understand that if we call ourselves a Christian and we go to church, that we would really be Christians. So a church that is alive, not like Sardis, who is dead, the church that is alive is a church that's full of people that are regenerated, are born again. But what's interesting is that just 40 years after the resurrection of Christ, 40 years, This church is filled with people. The majority of the people there are not even born again. And you would think that if we lived during that time, certainly we wouldn't. We wouldn't be self-deceived and believe that that we were Christians, but but we really weren't. Right? You would believe that 40 years after the resurrection, can you imagine living during that time as as a Christian? To know that with in less than a generation, less than 50 years of time, that means that you could talk to people that actually would have been witnesses of witnesses of the resurrection of Christ to know that Christ was raised, that we would never be fake Christians, false Christians. We would never be deceived. We would, we would really believe and live it, right? But just 40 years after the resurrection of Christ, there was a church full of people 
who thought they were genuine believers, but they were not. You know what it shows you? It shows you the capacity in humanity to be sinful and to be self-deceived. We are so easily self-deceived. We're so easily, we're so easily led astray and deceived by false doctrine and error and the lust of our flesh that we can believe that we're something that we're not. You know, our Lord said this in Matthew 7. So it shouldn't be shocking that just 40 years after the resurrection that this would be true, but our Lord said it in Matthew 7 that narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And what, is the, what did the Lord say? And few be that find it. But broad is the way that leads to destruction and many will go that way. It is a narrow way. Why is it a narrow way? Because it's a narrow way. It's only through Christ. It's not multiple roads that lead to heaven. Christ came and preached a a gospel, a message of repentance and faith in the Son of God. And it was a narrow way and people rejected it because as humanity, we like to believe that we can create our own way, that we can be good in our own strength. And so, so few are that actually find the narrow way and walk the narrow way, but many go the broad way of their own ideas, their own desires, their own beliefs, thinking and believing that they are okay, but they're not because they have rejected the narrow way. Matthew 7, Jesus goes on to say that many in that day, after he says it's a narrow way to life and a broad way to eternal death, he says there will be many, Matthew 7, 21, many in that day, meaning the day of judgment, that will say what? Lord, Lord, have we not cast out devils in your name? Have we not done many wonderful works in your name? And the Lord will look at them and will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, because I never knew you. Wow. So we shouldn't be deceived that you could actually have a church 40 years after the resurrection that thinks they're alive, but they're actually dead, thinks they're believers, but they're not. This church in Sardis was filled with false converts. So, so for us here today, what, what are reasons why people would associate with church but never come to faith in Christ? What does it actually look, what does that look like? Well, here's what I think are some reasons why people associate with church but never actually come to faith in Christ. They sit in a building, then maybe, maybe you're here today, maybe this is you, I'm going to read these lists, this might actually be you here today. And there are others in other churches here in our area and around the country, around the world that are sitting in churches and they're at church because of family tradition. Because my grandma went to this church, my mom and dad went to this church, my family goes here, so this is where I go. This is where I worship. Family tradition. What about pressure from family? Well, my family, we have a a tradition of going to this church and and I keep going because if I don't go, then I'm going to have this pressure for my family to continue to go. And so they just continue to go. But they actually never count the cost, walk the narrow road, reject the broad way. And they're just here because of family tradition or pressure from family. Many people come to church. Here's another reason to appease their conscience. They live their life outside of the church like they're not Christians, or maybe they're hiding secret sins, they have a guilty conscience, and they come, and when they walk into the door, 
It's a sense of appeasing their conscience. God, my, my good deeds hopefully are outweighing my bad deeds. My good deeds of coming to church faithfully and, and even giving and being generous and serving and volunteering and being a part. Hopefully this is outweighing the bad deeds that I'm hiding week after week, day after day. They appease their conscience. And, and this leads to the next idea. People come to church to atone for their sins. To atone. To actually believe that by by coming in, that they can atone for their sins by praying certain prayers and, and doing certain things and taking the Lord's Supper and, and all these different traditions that get built up over time. If I do these things, then I'm going to atone for my sins. What about, what about people coming to church to look, just looking for something positive? Just looking for something positive. I'm sorry if you came here today looking for something positive. We're going to end positive. But right now, if you came looking for something positive, I'm just here to tell you this, this is not a reality of what church is ultimately all about. It's about worship of the one true God. We can get things positive when we do have lots of positive things that we talk about at church. But if all you're looking for is something positive, watching Alabama lose last night was, or almost lose last night was very positive. And then it turned very disappointing right after. But it was positive. LSU won, right? Six and six. What about, here's another reason why people go to church. Networking and business opportunities. Hey, man, what a great place. Christian people like to give money. And I can, I can network with people and I can build my brand or my product or my business. I can increase with church connection. These are reasons why people come to church, but they actually aren't Christians. They're self-deceived, like the church at Sardis. They come for all these reasons. They're not coming because of a supreme love for Christ and because they've given their heart to him by faith. Jesus speaks to this reality that there will always be a mixture in the kingdom. He tells a parable about the wheat and, 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 and the weeds. The wheat and the weeds grow together. And in Matthew 13, the Lord says that the kingdom of heaven is like, he says, a man that plants good seed in his field... But while he is sleeping, his enemy sows weeds among the good seed. And he explains this parable in Matthew 13. Jesus answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers. These are the weeds mixed in with the wheat and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him, let him hear. Same thing we hear at the end of all these letters. He who has ears, let him hear. There will always be false believers mixed in with the genuine but the Lord will separate in the end. But a true church is made up of believers. That's what a church is. An alive church is a church full of people who are believers. Um, Jesus asked the, the, the disciples in Matthew 16, who, do, do, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And, and Peter makes the, the, the declaration you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, says flesh and blood does not reveal that to you, Peter, but my Father in heaven. And he says this in verse 18, I tell you, you're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my, Jesus said, I will build my church. That word church 
means, in the Greek, ekklesia. I will build my ekklesia. I will build my church. And ekklesia is a gathering of, that word ekklesia means the called out ones. Or have you been called out today? Called out from slavery to sin? Called out from the, the deception of the enemy? Called out from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light? Have you been called? Have you responded to the call of salvation from our Lord? Well, if you have responded to the call of salvation from our Lord and you have rejected sin and, and, and slavery to unrighteousness and Satan and you place your faith in Christ, you are a part of the ecclesia of God. You are his bride. An alive church is a group of the called out ones, the ecclesia of God. The warning for us here today as we think about this, we process this. This church, the ecclesia of God in Sardis, was full of people who were not the called out ones. They were deceived. They were not the called out ones. They had actually not placed their faith in Christ. So the warning for us here today is to examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith. Some people will say, well, you know, you really don't need to do that. But scripture actually tells us to do that. Look at 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Right? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. Well, what is the test? Jesus Christ is in you if you belong to Christ, if you belong to him, unless you fail to meet the test. Examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Sardis, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Examine yourself. Are you here today a part of the church of Sardis? Examine yourself. So, so what are some questions to ask yourself to know if you're in the faith? You can know if you belong to Christ. Here's some questions. Do I love the Lord Jesus? Do I love him supremely above everything else? Is he first place in my life? Do I love the Lord Jesus? Do I love his bride? Do I love his church? Do I love his word? I love the Lord Jesus, but do I love his word? If you can look at the word of God and you can, you can look at it haphazardly and you can take it or leave it or, or not really want to listen or be a part of it or read it or study it, examine yourself. Do I love the Lord Jesus? Do I love his bride? Do I love his church? Do I love his word? Do I hate sin? Do I hate sin? Not only do I hate sin, but do I pursue righteousness? Do I evidence also, genuine life transformation. I love Christ. I love his church. I, I, I love his word. I hate sin. I pursue righteousness. And, and I also have genuine life transformation. People can look at my life and say, that guy looks different. That woman looks different. That young man, that young lady, they look different than they used to. Second Corinthians five seventeen. Whoever is in Christ is a new creation. Do I look different? To say that I'm a believer... But there's actually no evidence in my life lived out of that reality. Then maybe I am like the church at Sardis, the believers at Sardis. I believe I'm something that I'm actually not. Do I desire to tell others about him? Here's another evidence that you belong to Christ, that you're in the faith. Do I desire to tell others about him? 
How many of you have received really good news before? Maybe it was Thursday night and you got an advertisement on your email about a Black Friday special. How many of you got on your phone and you texted your family and your friends or, or, or you went online and you shared something? It was good news and you shared the good news about a great deal that you could get. I went to Academy on Black Friday. $20 off of something that is $69 is not a Black Friday deal. I want to go from 69 to 1999. Right? That's Black Friday. Anyway, they've changed Black Friday. But if you hear the good news, you want to tell others about it. This is one of the greatest evidences that you are in the faith. A a transformed life that leads you and a love for Christ, a love for his word that leads you to tell others. And so often we, 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 that, that, that desire gets crowded out by other things. But you remember when you first fell in love with Christ? People couldn't shut you up. You told everybody that you could. A church that is alive is a church that is filled with people that have been born again. You know, often, often we are deceived into believing that a church that is, is, is alive is a church that has, has a certain kind of music. Boy, that's an alive church. You should hear their music. You know, you can have a bunch of ungener- unregenerated people on the stage playing music. And it sounds really, really good. But we look at the church. Man, that church is rocking. They are alive. Have you heard their worship? Watch out. Or, or, or we look at a group of people in a church and we look at their passionate expression during worship and we think, man, that church is alive. Look at them. They're passionate. They're lifting their hands. They're dancing. They're shouting. They're clapping. They're expressing. They're expressing their passion for Christ in visible ways. But is that really what it means to be a Christian? That you raise your hands during worship? You're passionate during times of music? Is that, is that what it really means? I think God's standard for an alive church is different than ours. This leads us to the next answer to, to our question. What does an alive church look like? An alive church looks like a group of people, a church, the ecclesia, the called out ones who are actually born again, who, number two, a church that is alive demonstrates the fruit of the spirit. So these alive, born again Christians, they are demonstrating the fruit of the spirit. This is an alive church. We demonstrate the inward transformation of the gospel through the power of the spirit in our lives. Do you remember the introductory greeting to Sardis? Look back at the introductory greeting. Revelation 3, 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And many of you here today are like, God has seven spirits? I've only had one. Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, you are right. There's only one Holy Spirit. And so what does it mean here? What is, what is the Lord Jesus saying? And he says, the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, which are the seven angels, right? As we heard back in Revelation 1, the seven stars are the seven angels, seven messengers of the seven churches. What does it, the, this mean? Well, the number seven in the Bible means completeness or fullness. Anytime you see the number seven in scripture, it means completeness or fullness. Isaiah 11, 1 through 2 helps us to understand what it means, what our Lord means by the seven spirits of God. It says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, 
and a branch from his root shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit, shall rest upon him. This is speaking, it's a prophecy speaking of Christ. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom, understanding, counsel, might, Spirit of knowledge, and the fear of the Lord. So, what the Lord means by that he has the seven spirits of God is that he has the fullness of the Holy Spirit dwelling on him and in him. He, dwell, he carries the fullness of the Spirit, which with the fullness of the Spirit in our life brings wisdom and understanding and counsel and might and knowledge and the fear of the Lord. So the Lord introduces himself as the one who has the fullness of the Spirit. He is, and he is gazing into this church and the evidence of the fullness of the Spirit is not there. So he's looking at this church. He has the fullness of the Spirit as the Son of God. In all wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And counsel and might and power. And he looks into the church at Sardis. And he doesn't see the Spirit's work. That's why he says they're dead when they think they're alive. So, so, so how do we know that the Spirit's not moving? Because the Lord says they're dead and they think they're alive. Scripture is clear that those who belong to Christ have the Holy Spirit. That is one of the evidences that a church is actually alive. They have an evidence of the Holy Spirit in their life. Romans 8, 8 through 9 says this. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, speaking to believers, are not in the flesh but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So as believers, where does the Spirit of God dwell? In you. Listen to this. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. You guys following me? The Lord looks at the church at Sardis and he says, I don't see any evidence of the Spirit's work because these people believe they're Christians, but they're not. And if they were Christians, I would see the evidence of the Spirit everywhere. Because it would be in them and working through them. But he's not there. One of the greatest evidences of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you are a believer. You have confessed Christ. So if you do not have the Holy Spirit, you do not belong to Christ. So the important next question then is this. How do I know if I have the Holy Spirit? Here's here's some reasons. First, you have a a confession of Christ as Lord. 1 John 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. So confession of Jesus as Lord, being born again is an evidence. When you confess Jesus as Lord, it's an evidence the spirit is working in you. It's a spirit from God. And then secondly, real simply, fruit that follows that confession. What did Jesus say in John 15? He said, if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Right? If I, you abide in me, I in you, and my words abide in you, you will bear much fruit. Fruit that follows that confession. So a church that is alive demonstrates the fruit of the Spirit's work. The Lord of the church comes with the fullness of the Spirit to the church at Sardis and says, your life does not reflect your reputation. There was no evidence of the fruit that comes from the inward work of the Holy Spirit. There's no evidence on the outside of an inward work. 
No evidence on the outside in their actions, in their words, in their lifestyle that reflected a heart that would be truly filled with the Holy Spirit. Kind of like the husband who gets married on his wedding day. And he looks at his wife, his beautiful bride that walks down the aisle. Tears streaming down his face. Moved emotionally. He takes his bride's bride-to-be, her hand in his, her hands in his. And he looks at her and he says, honey, I love you. And then 18 years later, the wife asks him, do you love me? He says, I told you when, when we got married and I'll let you know if I change my mind. What had happened between day one and year 18? There was no outward evidence and he had not been telling her that he loved her or demonstrating in his life that he loved her. And he said, hey, honey, I didn't tell you any different since I married you. Or it's kind of like this. It's kind of like a child who says they care deeply about having a clean room. But there is no evidence at all that that is true. Or it's like the saints saying that they really want to win but they don't put Taysom Hill in the game. Right? (laughs) Taysom would love to hear this this morning, wouldn't he? Supposedly he's hurt or something. I think he could have still done better hurt. (laughs) No evidence of the fruit that comes from the inward work of the Spirit. So what are the fruits of the Spirit? What are the fruit of the Holy Spirit? What, the fruit, what is the fruit of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the believer? We can know Galatians five twenty two. But the fruit of the Spirit is what love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self control. Amen. The primary evidence of the Holy Spirit's work in the life of the believer is the ever-increasing development of the fruits of the Spirit. I can tell you, I don't always walk in love or joy or peace or patience or kindness or goodness or self-control. But they're ever increasing in my life. And I get tested in my love, my joy, my peace, my, my, my patience, my goodness, my kindness. My faithfulness, my self-control. I get tested in all those as we all do as genuine Christians. But one of the greatest evidences in the life of somebody that they genuinely belong to Christ, that they're alive and not dead, they're alive and not self-deceived, is that those fruits are ever increasing in their life. And the way that they ever increase in our life is that we live under the pressure of this world and of sin and of Satan and we get under that pressure and when we are squeezed and tested, the fruit pops out. Right? Through great temptation and trial. Why? Because the Lord is at work in our life and he will not let go of us in the middle of temptation and trial. He will sanctify us. He will grow us. He will mature us. He's faithful. You'll often hear people talk about the moving of the Spirit in the church. And they'll, and they'll say something like this. The Holy Spirit is really moving in that church. You ever heard that before? Oh, the Holy Spirit's moving in that church. Let me go through a list of 
things that people look at and they say, well, if this is happening, then I know the Spirit's moving in that church. And if this is happening, the Spirit's moving in that church. And if this is happening or not happening, the Spirit's not moving in that church. This is, what I, this is what I would say. If that church is said of a church that the Holy Spirit's really moving in that church, yet that church is filled with division, gossip, anger, jealousy, envy, strife, backbiting, sin, sexual immorality, all the things we've been talking about the last few weeks, and the fruit of the Spirit's not ever increasing in that church, then it's not the Holy Spirit, it's some other spirit. It's time for a definition change when it comes to understanding what it looks like when the Holy Spirit is genuinely moving in the midst of a church. Well, the Holy Spirit is genuinely moving in the midst of the church when our love for one another is increasing. And the Lord of church looks down at our church and he sees love for one another moving back and forth between us. Oh, look at the Holy Spirit moving at living word. When our joy, when we have joy in all circumstances, we're, we walk through Ida and, and we go, we, 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 we lose homes or we lose, we lose roofs or we lose money and finances and we lose all these things. And the Lord of the church looks into the living word and he sees joy in all circumstances. He says, look at the fruit of the Spirit's work in this body. He sees peace in our hearts, peace in our lives. He looks into the church and he sees peace. People patiently enduring with one another. Loving each other and being patient with each other. He sees kindness with our words. He sees goodness in our pursuits. He sees that we're faithful in our commitments. He sees that we're gentle at all times. And he sees self-control instead of anger. That's the church that has the spirit moving in its midst. Amen? Amen. And that's the church we want to be. A church that has the Holy Spirit moving in our midst where we are demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit's work. A church that is alive is a church that is filled with those who confess Jesus is Lord. A church that is alive is a church that demonstrates the fruit of that Spirit's work in the way that we relate to one another and love one another and are patient with each other and pray for one another and Lastly here today, a church that is alive is a church that pursues kingdom priorities. So look back at the text. This is the conclusion, the last verses that we have not read in Revelation 3. You remember last week, there's always a remnant, yet you still have, you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Wow. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. Wow. The Lord says to those who were at the church at Sardis, there are still some. There's always a remnant of those who have not sold their garments. They are genuine believers. And he says, I will never blot their name out of the book of life. Side note, sidebar, when you're his, you are his forever. Forever. 
You're his forever. And when you go back of that testing of your faith and you're examining your life, you can have confidence in you. You can rest in the assurance of your salvation. When the Lord has you in his grip, he doesn't let go. Your grip may be slippery. Your grip may be filled with the slippery oil of sin, right? And temptation. And you may lose your grip from time to time on the Lord, but the Lord always has his grip on you if you belong to him. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. And then he says, I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Notice, he says, I will confess his name before my father. Does that sound familiar? Matthew 10, Jesus says, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will confess before my father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me, I will deny him before my father who is in heaven. So how is it that the Lord will confess us before his father in heaven? Because we confess Christ before, before men, before the world. A church that is alive is a church that confesses Jesus as Lord before the unbelieving world. We're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Romans 1.17, for I, 1.16 and 17, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will confess it before the world, that Jesus is Lord, that he has risen from the dead. And my Father and, my, and the Lord Jesus will confess me before my Father, before his Father. Kingdom priorities, a church that is alive has kingdom priorities of confessing, the main priority of confessing Jesus as Lord before the outside world. So do we believe this message of reconciliation before God must be shared? A church that is alive does. Do we believe our neighbors, our co-workers, our unbelieving family and friends? Do we believe that this message of reconciliation before God must be shared? The issue is, is that the church at Sardis was filled with people who had not truly embraced Christ. They had embraced a cultural religion, a worship experience, a family tradition, a social benefit. And one of the greatest evidences that they had not embraced Christ was their unwillingness to confess Christ to the outside world. And the Lord says there are some, yet there are a few names who have not sold their garments. And I'm, I'm going to confess them before my father because they're not ashamed of me before the world. These others, when the, hot, when the heat gets really hot, the fire is burning, they will, they will reject me. An alive church is a church that embraces the kingdom priority of gospel proclamation. Why? Because we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer our world is searching for. Do you, do you, do you look around and do you watch the news? Do you look on the internet and social media and do you see all the things that the world chases? That those that are, are not followers of Christ, the things that they're chasing after to find fulfillment at the depth of who they are? They're searching for something to fill the hole in their heart. There's a, there's a spot in every human heart that God has placed there with a longing and a desire to have that filled. It's, it's what would be called a God-shaped hole. And only Christ 
and only his word and only his ways and only his love and only his truth and only his word can fill that hole. Yet people chase after all of these pursuits, money and possessions and sexual pleasure and and achievement and winning and victory and relationships. And they seek and, and it's trying to fill that hole, but it's a it's a hole It can only be filled with the things that God designed it to be filled with to bring ultimate satisfaction. The world is chasing after fulfillment and possessions and experiences and pleasures that are unable to bring ultimate satisfaction at the depth of who a person is. You know what's something we have to watch out for too? As believers, we are tempted to buy into those same pursuits. Those pursuits lie to us as well, right? Those pursuits lie to us. It gets into our head as believers. And it tells us, if I, pers- look, look, if I pursue the things the world is pursuing, surely I will be as happy as they look, right? And we dabble a little bit and the Lord reminds us, oh, no, 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 no. That's not, that's not for me. How can you who have died to sin live any longer in it, right? No, that's not me. But it's like an empty well. The world's pursuing an empty well. They're going back to find something of satisfaction in an empty well. It's like they have a cup of water, right? They, they, They have a cup and they're looking for water. They go to a well and it's an empty well and they're drinking and there's nothing there to bring ultimate satisfaction. It's like reaching your hand into an empty ceramic cookie jar that's on top of your fridge over and over. Thinking that maybe this time I'll get what I'm looking for. Right? Every time I go to the cookie jar, there's nothing in there. I come back empty again. It's like thinking maybe this time. It's like believing. I'm sorry to talk about the saints a lot here today, but it's like believing the saints will win without Drew Brees. (laughs) Or it's like going to the same fishing hole you've never caught fish in and thinking it will be different this time. The tide's different. The temperature's different. It's October, the hunt for red October. Go catch the reds in October, right? You go to the same spot all the time. The fish are still not there, man. Right? Or it's like this. It's like going back to that bottle, thinking it will drown out your problems. And the problems are still there the next day. It's like chasing the pleasures pleasures through relationships and thinking you won't feel empty this time. And here's our Lord. This is our message. Here's our Lord right here, Matthew 11. This is what he says to all those who are digging in empty cookie jars, placing their hope in the football team, in a bottle, in a relationship. To fill the God-shaped hole, the Lord of the church says this, Come to me. Come to me. Not drugs, not alcohol, not, not, not pleasures of money and possessions and sexual sin. Come to me. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen? Take my yoke upon you. So many people, they, they yoke themselves. You know what a yoke is, right? You, they, they yoke themselves like an oxen is yoked to a, an older, an ox is yoked to an older, mature ox. 
And they're being, they, they, they learn the ways of the world. The mature ox teaches the younger ox how to plow. They yoke themselves to the ways of the world. They're learning the ways of the world. And they think that the ways of the world are going to really bring fruitfulness in their life. Jesus says, come to me. All you who are weary from this journey you're on, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Right? Why do we learn from Christ? For I am gentle and lowly in heart. You yoke yourself to the world, it's not gentle. Right? The world will jerk you around. It'll be, you'll, you'll get whiplash from, from the world. It'll be like riding a roller coaster that never stops. You're up and you're down. You're up and you're down. At the end, you think, why did I ever go on that thing? Right? Jesus says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your soul. How's your soul here today? How's your soul? I love this, verse 30. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is our message. This is our message. An alive church preaches this message. Christ crucified and resurrected. The only way to forgiveness of sins and the only way to find true rest in our souls. And we declare it wherever we go. An alive church is a church that are full of the ecclesia, the called out ones of God. That are filled with the fruit of the spirit in their life and in their midst as a congregation. And an alive church is a church that believes and has experienced Christ and his beauty and his glory and his power to transform And we're not ashamed to declare this message, though we would be ridiculed, though we would be laughed at. We would say, oh, hey, just come. Come and taste. Come and hear. Come and receive. Come and receive. You who have no money, come and buy. You have no bread, no wine, no money to buy it. Come to Christ. And receive all that you ever need. That's our message. Amen. Come to Christ to find rest for your souls. So where are you today? Where are you today? Have you found rest for your souls? Have you found peace the world can't take from you? Are you carrying the yoke of Christ or the yoke of the enemy here today. This is our message. If you're here today and you have not been yoked to Christ, connected to him at the depth of who you are today, hear the call. And don't reject as those with hard hearts do in the wilderness who are wandering for 40 years doing the same thing over and over again, reaching into the cookie jar, looking for cookies that are never there, wandering in the wilderness of sin and Egypt. Don't be like those in the wilderness, the hardest of their heart. Be like those who have tasted the things of the world and the garlics and the leeks and the onions. They don't taste good anymore. But they've tasted of Christ. They've come to him. If that's you, 
come to Christ. If you're tired of the wilderness wanderings, being yoked to things that won't satisfy, today you can confess Christ. Would you confess him today? This is our message. This is what an alive church looks like. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and what it does in, in, in our hearts. Your word is so powerful, so good. It teaches us, it trains us, it reminds us of who you are and your goodness. I thank you for your people. God, we are a part of an alive church, a church of people that love you, that serve you, that want to see the fruit of the Spirit at work in our midst. Lord, I pray that that would only increase. That we would walk in patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. We would truly be a church that is filled with your spirit and evidence it in the way that we live. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that embraces this message of Matthew 11, the call of Christ to those who are weary and heavy laden, that we would call those that are lost to come, to be found, to be born again, to receive hope and peace. And those here today, Lord, that that they've not responded in faith to Christ, God, I pray that they would repent and believe in the gospel. That they would be born again. And that they would publicly testify through water baptism of what you've done in their life. God, we love you and we, we, we thank you for the gospel and what you've done in our hearts. We bless your people here today as we leave. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, I love you. We'll look at Philadelphia next week, amen?